Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the first Sunday in 2020. Uh, Amazingly enough, we are still here. It's amazing when you really think about it. I like to reflect on it every new year uh, that all of our doomsday predictions have not yet happened. Okay? And when I say the the doomsday predictions I'm referring to are coming from, you know, movies from the 80s and 90s, of course. Um, even some early 2000s. But the 80s, you know, the movie themes were usually nuclear threat, right? Nuclear war. Uh, if you remember War Games with uh, a young Matthew Broderick, it's one of my favorites. When the computer plays tic-tac-toe and uh, beats it, can't beat itself. And so the world is saved. Tic-tac-toe. Just remember that when you're faced with that scenario. Um, and then the 90s, it kind of, there was still some nuclear holocaust fears, but then it shifted to kind of disease outbreaks, um, and then, of course, uh, the inevitable robot uprising, um, which I'm still waiting for. But um, on that note, if you haven't listened to the Flight of the Concords yet, all right, you may not know who that is, but just go home and YouTube Flight of the Concords, and especially the song, The Humans Are Dead. You will laugh, and it will make your day better. So just do that. That's your homework. Um, so the a robot uprising, you know, planet-killing asteroids, all these types of things. Uh, whatever the chosen calamity, most of them thought that by now, surely, 2020, we would have, you know, destroyed everything or destroyed ourselves or at least come close. But all of our predictions, despite our best efforts often, uh, we have not destroyed ourselves yet and we have not destroyed the world. So uh, I just want to say, well done. So good job. You know, we're starting off 2020 with some positivity here. Uh, This has nothing to do with the rest of my sermon, but I just want you to pat yourself on the back that you're still here. Optimism. Uh, At the end of the year, at the end of every year, in early December, the clergy of Holy Holy Cross gather for a two-day retreat. And we plan out the preaching for the next year, all of, all of the sermon series. Um, it may not feel that way while we're going through the year, but we did plan it out. And um, so we, we did that this past year, and we were praying what the Lord might want us to focus on this year. And he gave us this revolutionary idea. He wanted us to preach Jesus. And uh, we were shocked, too. Um, why on earth? Why on earth would you want to preach Jesus in church? But um, anyhow, seriously, if you've been coming to Holy Cross for a while, or if you've even been here one week, you know that we major on Jesus. It's one of the things that we think uh, is really only worth saying. We talk about Jesus in our preaching. Um, It's not a new thought for us. But when it comes to preaching, newness is not really what you want. It's just like our reflection a moment ago, right? Uh, it's a good thing that this year is starting the same as most of the years prior, that we're not living in a you know, post-apocalyptic nightmare. You know, that's a good thing. Newness is not always uh, the same as goodness. And uh, when, when preaching, that is, the, that is true. But it runs contrary to what we think most of the time. We think most of the time we want something new. You know, as Grateful Dead, this is for Barnwell and Sarah. But as the, great, the Grateful Dead sang back in 1970, their song, uh, New Speedway Boogie, I know you all know it, uh, they say, please don't dominate the rap, Jack, if you've got nothing new to say. Well, at the risk of defying the dead, I, am, I have nothing new to say. And that's really good. 
This is really good. Because instead of running after the new thing, instead of trying to come up with something flashy and exciting, the Lord wants for us this year to see him clearly. To see him clearly. To be given 20-20 vision uh, as we look at him. He made us a promise. He said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And so that's what we want to do this year. We're going to preach the word so that Jesus is lifted up. So that all people uh, might see him and be drawn to him. And we're going to do this by walking through Luke's gospel. We're really going to unpack Luke almost all year long. And because uh, we want to hear how Luke uh, sees Jesus' life and ministry, we're going to use that to see him clearly. And here in the first week, uh, as we look at beginnings, the beginnings of this new year, beginnings, uh, we're going to see the first four verses of this gospel, which you probably have never heard preached on before. I've never preached on them before. But uh, we see Luke's intention and desire when he opens up his gospel. He's writing to a man named Theophilus, uh, which actually means lover of God. So keep that in mind if you're looking for baby names this year uh, for your, your kids, your grandkids, you know. Theophilus, I think it's going to be the hot new name of 2020. <clears throat> Another example of how newness does not always equate goodness. But um, anyhow, most scholars uh, believe that Theophilus was a patron of Luke. So he was somebody that supported Luke's ministry. Uh, he was, you know, somebody who helped Luke do what he did. And Luke wants to give him an orderly account of the things, he says, that have been accomplished amongst us so that Theophilus might have certainty, certainty concerning the things he's been taught. He wants Theophilus to know that all he has learned about Jesus is true. That uh, all these amazing things, he wants them to hear them in context. He wants them to understand Jesus' life. And then he also wants them to understand the context of the church, what the fruit, was, the fruit that was born out of this, because that uh, is true of Luke. Luke, uh, his gospel is a two-part gospel. There's the gospel, the story of Jesus' life, and then the book of Acts is also the rest of Luke's story. He writes both of those to Theophilus. He actually has written more. He's, he's written the most in terms of just content of anybody in the New Testament because of his gospel in Acts. And it's also that Theophilus can have certainty about what he has been taught so that he can know that the Christian faith is true. It's widely accepted that Luke, though, was not one of the original disciples. He was not an eyewitness to Jesus. He didn't know Jesus in the flesh. So how does he know all of this? How does he know everything that he writes to Theophilus and to us? How can he be authoritative? Well, he tells us right here, he says that he is aware of the many that have compiled narratives, which scholars agree included Mark. Mark's gospel is thought to have been the earliest of the four, and Luke and Matthew drew heavily on Mark's gospel as they wrote their own. So Luke is aware of other accounts uh, that have been written about Jesus' life, but he also says that he's been told by eyewitnesses directly and ministers of the word. That's what he says. Luke knows those who did, in fact, walk with Jesus and witnessed his ministry. The first disciples. And this is actually proven in many of Paul's letters. When you read Paul, 
Paul mentions Luke three different times in three of his letters, in Colossians, in Philemon, and in 2 Timothy. Paul talks about Luke as a physician, and he talks about Luke as his closest companion, that Luke was with him all the way to the end when he was writing to Timothy before he died. Luke was one of Paul's disciples. And so Luke's account of the early church was from firsthand knowledge. He traveled with Paul. And he tells us in Acts that Paul had many interactions with the original 12, right? He went to Jerusalem and knew the apostles. And so it stands to reason that Luke knew them as well. Luke's gospel account is from the original disciples' testimonies. And Paul's himself too. And so Luke tells Theophilus, And us as much when he says, I followed all these things closely for some time to give you an orderly account. Right? He's the guy you want to give you an orderly account. He's a doctor. He's a physician. So he pays attention to detail. If he's a good doctor anyway. Um, Which we know he was, of course. Uh, But so Luke is giving this orderly account to us. And this is how when we think about beginnings, when we think about coming to uh, see Jesus clearly, This is how we see clearly the things that we have never seen, right? Because we never saw Jesus. We never walked with him in the flesh. We were told by someone else. Who knows? It builds off of what we heard back in the fall about how God speaks to us through others, through the testimony of his people. And it's how we know human history. This is how we know anything that has happened uh, since the dawn of time. You know, things that have been remembered orally or recorded in writing have been passed down to us. And it's only changed dramatically in the last hundred, couple centuries with the advent of pictures and video where we can actually now see the events for ourselves. But for the vast uh, bulk of human history, this is how we learned. We, we heard about it through the testimony of eyewitnesses. And that's what Luke's doing for us. He's giving us what he has been told and what he's seen. But Luke's purpose is not just historical in nature. Okay? He's not just wanting us to have the historical facts. He actually wants to confirm to Theophilus and to us what we have learned about Jesus. He wants to give us that word he says at the last sentence in verse 4. He wants to give us certainty, certainty of our faith. Now, that might sound strange because oftentimes people say, well, I'm just living by faith. And, you know, when people say that, they sometimes mean, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just kind of riding this wave to see where it goes, you know, with no certainty. It's like I'm just blind faith. That's often, I think, the way the world talks about faith, living by faith. But that is not our Christian faith. Our Christian faith actually is grounded in history, in testimony, and we can have certainty in our faith because we know others who have gone before us and it bears out in our own experiences we start to see the things in scripture happening in our own lives and so Luke is telling us that he wants Theophilus and us to have certainty about the things we have learned and then he talks about he says in that first verse he talks about things that have been accomplished amongst us And his word choice is very interesting. It's very important. The things accomplished. He's referring to the completed work of Jesus Christ. He's letting us know, he's letting Theophilus know and and us know what he's about to talk about. 
These things that have been accomplished. He's not just affirming that Jesus was a real guy, you know, saying he was this rabbi that lived and, you know, people saw him and that was great. He lived and taught. He wants us to see clearly and with certainty that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah, who fulfilled all that God had promised in the scriptures and throughout Israel's history. The things that have been accomplished amongst us. Jesus is the one true Savior. Luke wants Theophilus to see that. He wants us to see that. And he says it in the completed past tense, intentionally. He wants us to know that Jesus' work for us, his life, his death, and his resurrection, is finished. It is accomplished. Again, that idea of certainty. He wants you to know that your faith stands on solid ground. This isn't just kind of like, oh, I hope it works out. You know, he's saying this has been accomplished. And I'm going to give you the whole story. What we believe, what we've been taught about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins is true. That's what Luke wants you to hear. Now, the amazing thing about this, about not preaching something new to you, all right, because that's how I started. You know, we're focusing in on a message that we've received, a message that has been passed down for centuries to us. The amazing thing about the Lord wanting you and me to see him clearly in 2020, to see him lifted up, is that it actually always results in something new in us. So not preaching something new to you, but preaching something old that has been passed down for centuries, that has rung true throughout human time, always results in something new in you. And this is where newness is always good, okay? This kind of newness is the kind of newness we always want. It is the new life that comes from us hearing about Jesus again for the first time. Because that's the way we experience it, again, for the first time. We hear about him again, but in his grace, he applies that familiar message to a new area of our lives. It's the same message. It's the same message of God's radical grace that broke into human history to set people free. The same message that came for broken and hurting people like you and me, a message of forgiveness and healing. But there's always a new area in our life where we need to hear that good news applied for the first time. We need to experience that good news for the first time. And when I say a new area, it might actually be a very old area in your life. You know, it might be a place of fear and brokenness that you have carried for years. That you might feel like you don't have any hope in it. Because it's just the way it's always been. And yet, the Lord wants to apply his grace to that area. Hearing it again for the first time. This message of God's love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ for you. For people who have been carrying pain for a long time. This is the newness of life that Paul talks about in Romans. He says, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the kind of newness we want 
This is what we want when we think about the new year, when we talk about new beginnings. We want to experience the newness of life in all of our areas, whether old or new. We want to know his forgiveness, his freedom, and his healing. That's the hope we have. That's the true optimism, right? This is why we really can be positive when we start a new year, because we hear that Jesus wants to show us himself clearly again for the first time. He wants us to see him clearly this year. When we hear about how he came to forgive our sins and to accomplish all things for us, he has accomplished these things amongst us. When his Holy Spirit applies that, that awesome news to new places or old places in our lives, it results in certainty. It results in knowing that our faith is founded on solid ground. That even when doubt pops up, if we have a new experience that makes us wonder and worry, we have all this history now that is telling us he has been faithful to us. He has accomplished these things amongst us, and he will continue to apply that accomplished work in those new areas of your life. So whatever you face this year, Jesus' promise to you is the same promise. It's a promise of forgiveness, freedom, and healing. But you're going to experience it in a completely new way this year. That's an incredibly hopeful thing. No matter what it is, he's going to apply his grace in new ways to your life this year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this good news, for all the things that you have accomplished amongst us, for the fact that you, when you are lifted up, you draw all people to yourself. I pray, Lord, that you would draw us to yourself in new ways this year. I pray that we would hear you and see you clearly as we walk through Luke's gospel. And Lord, that it would impact us in ways we never expected that some of those old places we carry, that they would be brought into the light. We would experience healing there, new life there, and in ways we don't even expect, events that are going to happen this year that we can't predict, that those places are also held by you, and you will apply your grace to us there too. We thank you for this awesome hope. We thank you for your goodness for us, Lord. And we pray that you would give us certainty in our faith in 2020. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.